the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I don't think I need say anything about the importance of the prayer at the start of each conference. We ask the Holy Spirit to kindle in us the fire of thy love. Father Stuart, the very distinguished Scottish Jesuit of years ago, said to us when I was young, when you make a retreat, you're like somebody making a fire. You put paper and you put the sticks and you put the coal, you have no matches. And therefore, when you're ready for the retreat with the right books and the Jerusalem Bible and all sorts of other distractions, then you have to say to the Holy Spirit and kindle in us the fire of thy love. And so I'd like to say that at every conference because then we do feel on retreat uh, that we are here to pray and especially to renew the face of the earth, which we know needs renewing. And yet the Holy Spirit can do it in a second. I'm very conscious myself of the miracle of Poland when you think that all of us in this chapel thought of Poland as completely finished in 1945, overrun by Russia, overrun by Hitler, concentration camps, terrible massacres, and we in the West let Poland down. And yet now, not so long after, Poland is the most Christian country in the world. 97% of the working people in Poland practice their faith which we can't say in my own country or in the United States. Even the so-called Catholic countries, Ireland and Italy, don't come near Poland. And, of course, then we've got our Holy Father, the Pope. One of your commentators said the other day when he was attacked and wounded, said on the radio, when you come to think of it, he's the best-loved man in the world. And that's not bad for a man who we haven't even heard of. So we can make our retreat to help him. We can make our retreat by our silence and prayer that he will recover. Or we can pray for our own country and its troubles, or in my case, the terrors of Belfast. Or we can pray for the recovery in the world, or about abortion, which ought to horrify all of us, when we come on to retreat, we come to pray. And so I hope very much that our, each conference will be a prayer. Now, having started off so solemnly, now let me tell you what a marvelous retreat this is, because I didn't know I was coming. I've not been here for five years. The whole house has changed. Only the two cooks and the Blessed Sacrament are the same. <laughs> and I didn't know I was coming. And what's more, fathers didn't know they were going to have a retreat this week. We all agreed with a holiday on Monday 
but hardly any devout Catholics will leave home. So they've had a nasty shock, <laughs> and so indeed have I. So therefore it's a marvelous occasion. I feel so thrilled to be back and to have you here. And we're all different. We don't belong to any organization. I don't know which ones are charismatic, which ones want healing, which ones are alcoholic. I know nothing, I don't know any of you. And you don't know me, or some of you may, worse luck, uh, but the others, no. Some have heard my tapes and that's a disaster. No, and then I don't speak quite the same English as you do, which is embarrassing. I practice saying Bath and Tijuana Brass Mass, <laughs> and I even practice saying Calvert, and then I find here you could say Colvert. When you go to Boston, you don't know what the hell they're going to say. <laughs> no, so you, you sound to me like J.R. and the Ewings, and I suppose I sound to you a mixture, a nice mixture of Mrs. Thatcher and upstairs, downstairs. <laughs> so our language won't be quite the same, and some of you, for the first day and a half, may miss what I'm saying, or I've done it several times, I may say the wrong thing not knowing. It's very easy to almost make a filthy joke free of charge. <laughs> when an Englishman comes to America, you do, I don't know what you mean by all your words. Now again, I want to stress very much to you that what I've learned over nearly 40 years of giving retreats on end is how different everybody in a retreat is. Now, we, it's wonderful here, we've got uh, men and women, some married, some single. We've got some who are converts, we've got some who are lapsed, we've probably got people with all sorts of worries at home, or teenage worries about drugs, or we've got people trying to be saints. You just don't know. I made the figures I had uh, uh, the other day of, in a retreat in Louisiana. All men. I had 19 Protestants. So that stopped me being uncharitable. <laughs> I had 10 lapsed Catholics. There were nine doctors, one ex-Jesuit, and one terrible salesman who gave me a free pen every time he came to see me. I had about <laughs> 15 that didn't work. <laughs> we just don't know. Some are frightened. I'm heading up for deaths. I'm sure you are, some of you. Some of us are senior citizens. Some of us are just starting. So really, it's important in a retreat that you and I should feel I've got to make the retreat myself. Now, I love this house because everything is free except meals. You'll presume you'll come to those, they're so good. Uh, but otherwise, you do exactly what you like. The talks will take exactly 29 minutes. So there's, those of you who don't like staying too long, there's going to be no danger. And I'm going to give a text in each talk for people to think about. Cardinal Newman, who you'll hear a lot about this in a retreat, Cardinal Newman has a marvelous statement. He said, I can no more think with a mind not my own than I can breathe with lungs not my own. If you think that out, nothing you can do. You can't breathe with somebody else's lungs. You can't think with somebody else's brain. Even our Lord Jesus Christ, if I just take his words and they're not mine, they're second hand. And that's why so much religion 
is a disaster because it's all second-hand from St. Thomas Aquinas or from some unhappy priest like Father Eugene Kennedy, who's now holding the opposite of what he said when I bought the book. I wish he'd give me the money back. <laughs> so you, Newman is quite right, and that's why in his sermons he always gives a text because it's your thoughts about that scene that our Lord can reach you. But if you just take it as read and then go on to read America or some other uh, rather dull weekly, now then you're not going to become a saint. So therefore it's very important for each of us, I'll give you a text or a passage which you ought to read as far as it helps you. So in this house where you've got wonderful staff and you've got opportunities to ask questions and do what you like, you ought to feel totally free to make the weekend a real rest. The only point I would stress, and Father has already, I'm sure, is silence. Now, the three retreat houses I love best in America, where I go every year, and they're packed to the doors, are those that keep silence. And I've seen beautiful retreat houses run down by having all sorts of paradisages and singing practices and God knows what else. I went to one retreat house, I remember, where they had a penitential service. My Lord, it was awful. All the ladies came in carrying lighted candles into a dark church. And then somebody said, if you have brushed Christ off in the week, blow out your candle. And they all went, <laughs> except one old lady who wouldn't. And they said, you brushed Christ off. She says, I hadn't. He's, they said, well, you damn well should have done. And blew it out. <laughs> and blew it out for her. And you felt, all this is splendid, but this is not a retreat. This is uh, San Francisco or Los Angeles might like it, or Disneyland. No, we come here and we ought to keep silence. The point that helps me so much was said by Dennis Dionysius the Elder, who you didn't know because he was lived in 430 B.C. But he made a very super remark, say only those things that improve on silence. Just before you speak, just say, am I adding anything to anyone by saying that? I say it even to priests at the altar today, you get priests yakking at mass and putting in little bits of their own. I wish they'd ask and say, have I improved on what Jesus said? And in most cases, not. Only say those things that improve on silence. So in a retreat, it does improve on silence to say, pass the butter. At least it improves you. But on the other hand, it doesn't improve anybody to yak when somebody else wants to be quiet. I remember so well when I gave retreats to the Trappist three times, they used to talk with funny sort of sign language. And I said to the abbot at Mount St. Bernard, Leicestershire, um, why do they do that? And he said, oh, he said, St. Bernard didn't say that the Trappists couldn't talk. What he said was the house must be silent for those who want to pray. So if they wanted to talk, they talked in a way uh, that didn't disturb others. And I do urge on you because I know every time I give retreats, the number of people who come away, as they do, in a motel, you don't want noise outside your door. You won't go to a motel again if people talk in the middle of the night. You have a high standard here, I know, so I would beg of you, that's the only rule down at Convent, Louisiana, it's the only rule they have in the retreat, 
I won't speak because I want to pray, and others do too. Now we've got to think just for a second that we are being recorded. I want to speak, I'm giving the retreat for you. Cardinal Newman described himself as an occasional preacher, not meaning they only preached occasionally, but he preached on the, with the people in front of him as his object. He preached so that the people who come on retreat or come to a sermon will be moved. And I feel that uh, my duty is to you. But now tapes are very marvelous in that they get spread around and I find amazing in Australia or in my own country, all over the place and in other parts of the states, you find some lonely person shut in, somebody who's left the church. You never know who's going to listen to a tape. And that's why I wish they could share our lovely view of the Potomac and the beautiful house and see us all here, we'll pray for them. They're faceless. But we just don't know when one person may be helped. So therefore, I say the prayer each time so that they, maybe 10 years' time, can join in. But after that, uh, they're very welcome, but the retreat is ours, and you shouldn't be disturbed by this machine. So that's why, oh, that's the whole, what I wanted to say, start. Now my subject. As we're all comes voluntarily and we don't belong to any organization, I can't talk on um, charismatic, in case some of you aren't. I can't talk about healing because I don't want to be healed. I don't know what to say. But one thing we all have in common, I want to talk about the saints. I've worked very hard the whole of this week to talk to you about the saints. I wanted to call my tape when it comes out a parliament of saints or you could call it a congress of saints, or the best of all would be the communion of saints. What do we mean by the communion of saints? We mean by the communion of saints that all the members of the church on earth, in heaven, and in purgatory are in communion with each other as having one body in Jesus Christ. I'm glad to quote the old catechism because it makes it quite clear. We on earth, people in purgatory, people in heaven, we are one community. We communicate. Which means that for you and me sitting here, my brother and my mother and father, your loved ones who are dead, people who, who died in the war for you, they're, they're in touch with us. And Mother Seton, and St. Thomas More, and all the saints I'm going to mention. At the end of the retreat, I'm going to give the plenary indulgence, and all the saints it's their merits that come to us. And we, therefore, have that in common. Some people say they don't like saints. If you cut the saints out, what are you doing? You're cutting out the only examples you have of the power of God. That what Jesus did in the, a little girl like Bernadette, or did in St. Teresa of Avila, or did in St. Peter Claver, if I know any saint and watch them, there's where I get the courage that Jesus could do the same for me. So it's not at all remote. There's no history in a zoo, but there must be history where there are human beings, because it's the past for us that makes your nation, and it's what makes my nation. But if you cut out history, cut out all that, then you're ruined. Cut, cut out antiques, and all you've got left is plastic, and that's pretty filthy. So therefore, in a strange way, the communion of saints is a wonderful subject to speak about. Now, 
I'm going to give you the text. And as I promised to stop in the, exactly the right time, I'm then going to do a most extraordinary thing, which I've only done once before in my life. I'm going to read you a very short section of Cardinal Newman's first sermon preached when he was a young clergyman. He had a voice and thought he was saved, and the first sermon he preached was in Kent, in England. And so I was going to read to you the thoughts he put before me, and which simply shook me. And I can tell you I used them the other day for the clergy in Cleveland, Ohio, and they all went slightly white. And it's so simple. So I'm going to quote Newman's first sermon. And the text you ought to note down in so that you can take it out, it's in Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 14. You can find it in any different versions. They vary a little. But the one I've got here, it says, Strive for peace with all men, for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace with all men and for that holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Do you realize without holiness you will have no heaven? Now Newman, writing about that, says this. Very short. He says, throughout scripture we are told again and again that to make sinners holy was the end of God's purpose. The covenant, the law, the incarnation were all designed for holiness through which salvation comes. To be holy then, not to have my sins forgiven, not to go to confession necessarily, not to be justified. If you're not holy, you will not see God. Now Newman goes on and says, some people may ask why holiness is a necessary qualification for heaven. Why? We really have no right to ask the question, and the only answer is that God ordained it thus and revealed it thus. So that's the only answer is God told us. Yet we may ask the question reverently to clarify our own situation and prospects. What does Scripture say? Circumcision of the Spirit, that is separation from sin, the works of the world, the flesh, the devil, to do things as he would have us do them, to live in the sight of the world to come. That's what holiness is. Why can't we be saved without such a frame or temper of mind? Now that's a marvelous statement. Holiness is a frame of mind. It's not just a thing you say, I'll be holy. It's a thing that, like you build up a frame of mind in literature, in politics, in art, it's a thing that you build up in yourself to see the things with the vision of the other world. Then Newman goes on very shortly to say that what our trouble is, we think about this world and we think of heaven as the continuation of this world. He says, why cannot we be saved without such a frame of mind? I answer as follows, that even supposing a man of unholy life were suffered to enter heaven, he would not be happy there. So that it would be no mercy to permit him to enter. We are apt to deceive ourselves and to consider heaven a place 
like this earth. I mean a place where every man may choose and take his own pleasure. Active men, domestic men, men of literature, science, politics. We think that just like we choose in this world, we can choose in the next world. The only difference for us between this world and the next is in this world we don't always succeed and that in the next world when the saints go marching in and Louis Armstrong's playing his brass, uh, that we'll have everything we want. This is a most extraordinary thing. We think of heaven as we'll be free of impediments, we'll be able to do just what we like. And that is a total lie. Heaven is not like the world. I will say what it is much more like church. And Newman makes a marvelous side smack. He says, you look at people who don't believe in anything when they're in church. He takes a state funeral, or when some local worthy dies and all sorts of mayors and people go to church and they put on their best clothes and they say hello outside and they have a martini afterwards. But when the service starts, they don't know what the hell to do. They try to look sober and pious. They don't know what, it's totally boring. They don't even believe in the next world. They're only there as a social activity. Like I remember reading one of your old um, book on your constitution in your Senate and when the chaplain was saying the prayer, suddenly one senator woke up and said, not guilty. <laughs> that it was while, while the old chap was blathering. It's very like church. If a man who doesn't believe in God comes to church and I say, let us pray, <laughs> what the heck does it mean to him? No, not that heaven's going to be as dull as church, I hope. Uh, but, but at the same time, that you and I who love God, when we say, let us pray, it's what we want to do. Whereas to a person who doesn't have any vision of God and is not holy, it doesn't mean anything. So now we end. Newman says, holiness without no man shall see God. The man without holiness will find no pleasure in heaven. He will be a stranger, not speaking the language. That's the message that frightened even the Cleveland priests. When you were abroad during the war or when you went to a country like Arabia, you couldn't ask for anything. Have you ever been into a room where you don't know the language? Total disaster. You put on a smirk. All these poor chaps without, don't believe in religion, they'll just be smiling in heaven uh, like somebody who's just arrived from the Antipodes. It's a terrible thought. You don't speak the language with few friends wandering about alone. Just as a men with no religion are bored in church. And then our Newman quotes our Lord, our, how the king said to the stewards who had done what he asked, well done, good and faithful servant, because you were faithful in few things, I'll make you powerful over many. Enter into the joy of your Lord. When we go to heaven, we're going to enter into God's joy. Just supposing our joy isn't his. Well, I don't know if we'll go to hell, but we'll go somewhere very boring. We'll go to somewhere, I don't know, God will know what to do with us if we can't speak the language in the next world. So therefore, I do want to stress to you uh, that that quotation, enter into the joy of thy Lord, when we die, it's our love for our Lord that's going to make heaven. And when we think of the saints as we're going to in this retreat, we'll see the language they spoke. 
and then you will see, now what do we do about it? And then Newman ends up, marvellous sermon, the first thing he stresses, holiness is a frame of mind. Next, and he emphasises it enormously, therefore it cannot be produced in a moment. He had been an evangelical. At 15, he'd heard a voice and knew he was saved. It affected his whole life. He never denied that it wasn't wonderful. But as he grew in wisdom, he made clear that is not the story. You can have a lovely voice feeling you're saved. That's not holiness. It might be a boost at this minute. I would say to the charismatics, I meet saintly men. But when you get chaps who tell me they're slain in the spirit, or that they've suddenly been baptized in the spirit, I don't know how they know. And Newman wasn't sure that this time next week you may have lost the faith altogether. No, as Newman says, you're not going to change in a hurry. And how do we know? And he gives a very, very good proof. First of all, uh, that foolish virgins, when they couldn't get into the wedding, they couldn't suddenly produce oil. They, had to, they could nothing about it. They had to go back and get more oil and miss the wedding. And the man who hadn't got the wedding garment on, he couldn't suddenly produce a wedding garment. But in the gospel, we see it very clear that John, although these instant lights and lovely voices and even stigmatas and things may get you off the ground for a minute, holiness is much more. It's to see this world through God's eyes and to see the world as God sees it. And therefore, the things I do to judge whether they're worthwhile or not, and that's done over the years. Now, I don't want to discourage anybody who's had sudden lights. I used to be airborne in prayer for about three months, and then I fell down and bruised myself. <laughs> Having read Teresa long enough, I found you could rise to an enormous height like a balloon. No, but ultimately you come back to the same old sweat. I'm not going to get see God unless I'm holy. And holy means godly. The Puritans ruined it by calling it godly. Godliness is holiness, but they made it sound as if, if you're godly, you don't put money on a horse, you don't say damn, you don't drink, and then you go straight to limbo. Well, you'll find a very dull set. No, the godliness, the real holiness is godliness that instead of that I've, I'm wholly interested in God's view. So that was Newman's first sermon he preached as a young man. He preached 619 as an Anglican, Episcopalian, and then he preached another 600 as a Roman Catholic. It's awfully interesting to watch that right back at the start, you can see in, in the words of this wonderful man who prepared so carefully how he thought things out. So I sum up to you, that the first thing is we've got to live with peace with other men and to find that holiness without which we will not see God, see the Lord. That's Hebrews 12, 14. If I made that mine, I would be in the retreat, I'll go away infinitely more happy. Then you've got to think, why do we have to be holy? And the answer is because our picture of heaven is a worldly picture where I'm going to have what I like which I don't get here. But our Lord said, enter into the joy of thy Lord, that I'm going to enter into the joy of God, which the saints did even on earth. I'll try to show you how blissful they were here. Then you've got to think, 
that sudden lights, and maybe God, they may be the Holy Ghost, they may be splendid, but Newman tried them, and I believe with him entirely, that ultimately it's a frame of mind that may take many years. Like when you make do a canvas or make a carpet, it's stitch after stitch after stitch, eventually the pattern comes. And so this retreat is one step further in getting God's point of view. Then think how lonely you were abroad or in any situation where you couldn't speak the language. Because that to me would be absolute hell uh, to get to heaven and find I got to shut up for eternity. <laughs>